We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. Well, again, if you're joining us, we would like to welcome you. We've been working through the book of Titus. We are several sermons in. We find ourselves in chapter 2. Today we're going to specifically look at verses 6 to 8 of chapter 2 here in this section in which we find the encouragement of the expectation of younger men. Last week we made it through the younger women, and uh, this week we're going to address the young men. Again, we've been looking uh, how we, as the body of Christ, as the members of the local body of Christ, plays our specific parts. And we all have a specific role to play within the body of Christ. We are individually members of one another, and though we may not have the same function, we have been called to fulfill and to live out our calling. And thus, if we are going to be a healthy church, then we need all hands on deck. And so not only should we expect the leadership to function in a specific way, but also the membership to function in a specific manner. Last week, we looked at the responsibilities of younger women in correlation ultimately with the older women. And the older women were to invest, were to pour into the lives of the younger women, and the younger women were to live out those expectations and to fulfill the roles that ultimately God has established in and through their lives. Today is really no different as we find the the equally important expectation of younger men. Paul expects Titus to implement the same criteria onto the life of men. Um, We had, last week we dealt with the ladies. Um, And I tried to honor the ladies by making sure I kept a good balance of the expectation of the older women's responsibility to the younger women, but also men's responsibility. And so today we're going to look at what Paul expects Titus to implement on young men. And while it is a bit different because Titus himself, interestingly, would have been considered a younger man. And so really, Titus, because he would have been a younger man, not only is he called to instruct the young men, but he's also to be an example to them by which they are able to follow. And so here again, there is a twofold purpose in the text today. And that is that Titus is to teach the younger men, but he's also as the younger men to live by an example. We had discussed historically the anatomy of the healthy church, this sermon series title. As it relates to leadership, we looked at the first few sermons. And then we begin to dive into the next section, which is membership. And that deals with the, the elders, the, the older men, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men, as we will see today. And so that is an important layout of the text as we see the three-part structure here on this next slide. 
So if you will, let's turn our Bibles uh, to Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 6 to 8. Titus 2 verses 6 to 8. He says this, Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. The text conveniently divides itself into three sections that I think will be helpful for us as we look through this few verses today. First, we'll see the expectation, we'll see the examples, and then lastly, we'll see the effect. Let's begin by observing first the expectation. Paul says here in verse 6, chapter 2, Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible. The beauty of the Christian life is that we are all connected by the same standard. And while the roles and responsibilities, listen, may be different, we are all called to live our lives in a way that honors God. And thus, Paul can begin by instructing Titus likewise. Paul emphasizes to Titus, just as you've instructed the elders, just as you have instructed the older men, just as you have instructed the older women to invest into the younger women who are to be taught by them, so likewise, Titus, you are now to urge the younger men. So who's the young men? Well, scripturally, contextually, We could emphasize those who are young in the faith. That's sure a possibility. But historically, contextually, and most commentators believe it's somewhere of the marital age up to 50 years old. So that would include most men in here today, except the youngers, which they are to live by example. We are to set the stage for that. So I would be included in that young men, because I'm below 50. Y'all are old if you're above 50. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I was telling my wife uh, uh, this age group, and she said, see, honey, I'm a young woman. I said, you are young, baby. Nevertheless, The expectation that Paul gives to Titus is no different than the expectation he has had for everybody else that we've looked at. Nevertheless, Titus, just to make sure he encouraged the younger men, he wants to make sure we understand our responsibility to be sensible. Now, we've looked at this word sensible several times. Chapter 2, verse 2, I think, maybe verse uh, 6. But nevertheless or five, nevertheless, he encourages us. And the idea behind this Greek word here, to be sensible, means three things. It means to have common sense. It means to be sound in judgment. And it means to be self-controlled. It means to be self-controlled. And really, if we were to pick one word that really sums up the idea of what it is to be sensible, it is to be self-controlled. 
Because when we are self-controlled, we typically emulate those other areas of sound judgment and common sense. Listen, young men can be rambunctious. They can be aggressive in their decision making because we are so excited, full of energy, and we just want to conquer the world. We want to have successful lives. We want to do successful business. We want to everything we do to do well and with success. And so we have to be careful, though, to be urged to maintain a sensible behavior. And so what ways should young men be sensible? In what ways should we as young men have common sense? And in what ways should we have sound judgment and self-control? Well, I thought you would never ask. I think that when young men use their common sense, when they use sound judgment, then they'll do things in a way that honors God. Because believers understand and know that God's ways are best. Have we ever doubted that God's ways are best? That His Word is always best if we will just be obedient to it? Common sense would say that we do what the Bible says we should do and not something it says we ought not to do. There are consequences when you do things we are called not to do. Common sense tells you there are consequences for doing things that you know are not acceptable and that you're not supposed to do. And so when you do those things you're not supposed to do, you ultimately dishonor God. And so we have to be very careful that we honor the Lord with our lives. When we dishonor our wives or our husbands, our mothers, our fathers, there are consequences. That's common sense Christianity. When we are disobedient to the Word of God, there are consequences. Young men, listen, are to be sensible. Young men are to make decisions that they know will be a blessing and not a curse. So listen, if you get drunk and drive home, you may get in an accident that kills somebody. Well, Scripture says don't get drunk. So if you get drunk, then you're putting yourself in a position to where you may experience the consequences of that. Listen, if you have sex before marriage, you may get pregnant. And and there are consequences. God has a standard, a desire, and He wants us to operate in that way. He gives grace when that is not the case. Because God is a good God even when we are faithless. He is faithful. That is the God we worship. Listen, if you get angry and lash out and at, at someone, you, you may lose your job if it's your boss. If you stay on video games for six to ten hours, listen, you're going to develop habits that will transition as you grow into adulthood and become a man. Young men are to be sensible. They are to be self-controlled by what they see. In your lust after the things of this world, maybe it's a woman, maybe it's something that you've seen on the internet that you have desire for. Lust isn't always a sensual thing. It could be after material things. We're called to be sensible and self-controlled with our lust, with our time management, 
with the music we allow into our ears, the, the media that we spend time on. What are you reading? What are you investing in? What is captivating your minds? Listen, the, the reality is, is we need to be careful who we hang out with. Because your friends make a big difference. And this is really important for you kids. Listen, I just assume you stay home with your parents rather than hanging out with someone who is going to pour into your life things that are corruptible. You know, my son works with David Murray and he's had a few job offers. And one of my standards was that David would make sure that he didn't put him with anybody that would persuade him to do something that was ungodly. Where the other job offers couldn't be the case. I just happened to trust David. And so it's important that we protect our children, but that we as young men as well make sure. Can I just say men? Because I, I kind of feel uncomfortable calling a 45-year-old man a young man. We need men. In America, it's time for men to be men because I can tell you there are some 40, 35, 40, 50 year old men who are not acting like men. And I get to hear about it. I get to hear the struggles of wives. But we're called to be self controlled, we're called to be sensible, we're called to be wise. Paul instructs. He instructs his protege, Timothy, and the other pastoral epistles as a young man to be self-controlled. He says here in 2 Timothy 2.22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The command of young men, listen, is a common thing in Scripture. We see Peter even command it to young men when he says here in 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Take the advice of your elders. Be subject to them. Make sure you shape your life in humility, which is the opposite of being proud. We have to be very careful as young men that we don't become proud and think we are something we are not. We are not to think more highly of ourselves, Romans says, than we ought to think, but rather to think so with sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God is ultimately opposed to the proud, and yet He gives grace to the humble. Listen, as a pastor, I, I have the opportunity of standing in the pulpit and preaching the Word of God each week. And I do my best to not put myself on a pedestal above you. Because I am a, a man saved by the grace of God, utilizing my spiritual gifts. But I have the same temptations. I have the same struggles. I have the same problems that you have. But we need to be humble. And we need to express to the world that we are not perfect or holier than thou. Doesn't mean we shouldn't encourage holy and righteous living. But nevertheless, 
we need to understand it's important for young men to be sensible because as a Christian, listen, we are we should be in a race. We should be pressing toward a goal that lies ahead. And if we are going to run in a race, listen, if I started a marathon tomorrow, I would die by I got to the end of the road because I don't run. I'm not trained for that. I'm not equipped for that. But if I wanted to become a runner and I wanted to get prepared for that, I would have to train. I would have to prepare myself. And it would begin probably by walking. And I would walk and I would get a little walker in my faster in my walk. And it would be a process. And that process would require for me to be self-controlled because not only should I have to exercise, I would have to make sure that I'm taking in foods that are feeding my body and allowing me to grow in my nutrition so that I can become a healthier man. Uh, listen, we are all in a race and we should be experiencing self-control in our lives so that we can honor God. Paul's encouragement in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 to 27, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize unless it's 2021, then everybody gets a participation trophy. But nevertheless, let's just assume there are no participation trophies and you only get one prize. Then run so in a way that you might win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things they do. Everyone who competes, they have to have self-control. He says, then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. They run to, to, to get a wreath that is imperishable. Maybe today it would be a medallion. But nevertheless, then in the context, context of the cultural, it was a wreath. But this wreath, the text says, is perishable. means it will go away. It will fade away. Its beauty will fade. But never we are called to race after that which is imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. He's on task. He has a purpose. Can I ask you, men, are you on task? Do you have a purpose? What is your goal? Where are you running? Are you even in the race? Because I believe we live in a day when the culture around us says, oh, I'm a Christian, but they're sitting on the sideline. They're sitting in the stand and they're watching everybody else do the work. It's time for men to step up and get in the race. It's time to wake up. Some literally. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. A box in such a way as to not, as not beating the air, but I discipline my body to make it my slave. Too many of us are ran by our own bodies. We lack self-control. And when we're tempted in this area or this area, and everybody's so different, we have to be over our own desires. We can't let our flesh push us to do what it wants. Rather, the Spirit 
God who lives in us. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer it is I who lives, but what? Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave Himself for me. That's the Christian. That's the man who has put his faith in Christ. Many need to put their faith in Jesus Christ as the way into salvation. And then they can be indwelt with the Spirit of God so that then they can live out that obedient Christian life so that they then can get in the race and then have self-control because that is a fruit of the Spirit. But I discipline my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. We have to pay attention, men, and how we walk. And, and I can get a little strong on men because I need to be strong on myself. This thing kicked me around all week. Because I'm a young man. And thus is for me just as much as for you. But we need to be men. And real men have responsibility. Real men take up responsibility. Not just to go to work, but to do everything else that God has called us to do. Work is an aspect of manhood to provide for our families. But here, men are men who are self-controlled. They are sensible. They use common sense. Young men are in a race striving for the prize. Thus Paul wants Titus to emphasize to you young men to be sensible, to be sound judgment, self-control, to use common sense. So we know that we're all in a life of striving after the finish line. And maybe today, today can be the, rest of the, the first day of the rest of your life. Maybe you say, Pastor, I haven't been in a race. I'm just, make, I'm just living. I'm just surviving. Because there are seasons that way for both men and women. I'm just glad I woke up this morning. I'm just glad I have the ability to sit in the pulpit and open my mouth because there are days that, that I don't want to do that. But I can't let my flesh lead me. I have to be over that. And I have to be faithful to what God has called me to do when He says in season and out of season, preach the Word. Can I ask you a question today? Are you allowing the flesh to lead? Or are you being led by the Spirit? Are you fulfilling your expectations as young men? Or are you exemplifying self-control in your lives? Only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you. I can only evaluate my own life. And you know what? There are areas in my life that I struggle with self-control. Just like I'm sure there are areas that you struggle with, men. But nevertheless, it doesn't negate the reality and the responsibility by which we've been called to exemplify self-control in common sense. The Apostle Paul elsewhere calls us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, purify ourselves. Everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence of God. He also encourages us in the book of Romans chapter 12, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Self-control, sensible. Men, we are called to give our bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Sacrifices are dead. They're cut. They bleed out. They're burnt on the altars in the Old Testament. So what is Paul referring to when he says your bodies as a living sacrifice? That means you in this life and in this flesh with a beating heart and a talking tongue that you give your bodies to God and that you put yourself under the authority of the Word of God and the Spirit of God that you might live in a way that honors God in your manhood. We need to be men. And we need to be men who are living by the Word of God. Not just men, but men who are honoring God. Who are acceptable to God. Have you been living a life that's acceptable to God? Have you been doing things that are acceptable to God? Have you been loving your wives as acceptable to God? Have you been loving your children in a way that's honoring to God? Again, only you can answer that. Where you fall short, listen, the glory of God resides and can give you hope. Because many times we don't. And we confess our sin because that's what men do. We don't allow our pride to go, look at me, I, I'm a good father, I'm a, I'm a good husband. But rather in our inabilities, we go, God, I need you. Forgive me for being a bad husband to my wife. She deserves so much more. God, forgive me for not being a good father who invests into my children eternal things. God, forgive me. Help me. Use me. Bring somebody around me that will encourage me and point me how to live out that kind of life that I can honor you. Yet most Christians would agree that putting the contrast and the constant attractions of the worldly desires in order to please our Lord is not always an easy thing to do. It's easy to say, do this. It's another thing to live that out. It's another thing to say, be a good husband to your wife. It's another thing to do that when she ain't very lovable this morning. Because I know y'all's marriages are all perfect. Mine is. See, I'm a wise man. But nevertheless, when things aren't the way that uh, maybe they ought to be, will we love her? Will we cherish her? Will we honor her? Even when it's hard. I mean, isn't that what we asked the women to do last week? When your husband isn't lovable, even love them? Well, when your wife has had a long day, because I can only go off of my wife. I don't know what your wife does, but my wife works all day. She serves her children all day long. And I know that some days is a hard day for her. Will I serve her when, she, when I come home and I can just tell like, hey, honey, I'm good. Okay, I got this. I got this. I, I've been married to you for 19 years. I, I know where you're going. You ain't even got to go there. Right? We need to know our wives. 
We need to know our children. We need to be in connection to our daughters. Because if you don't love them and you don't give them the attention that they need, they'll find it somewhere else through some young punk who ain't got no business having it. Same with our young boys, our young men. We need to pour into them the things of God, to encourage them, to consistently ask them. I've been asking my kids since they were five years old, son, what do you want to do when you grow up to be a man? I don't know. I, I want to be a, an astronaut. I, my kids want to be a charter captain, you know. I'm like, I, you need to find something that, you know, is a little bit more sustainable for your family. You know, not that that's a bad career, don't get me wrong. It's a lot. It's hard work. Right? But, but, but we need to pour into them. And when we have failed, we need to be reminded that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. It's not always easy to do. Being a man is not easy. That's what makes a man a man. You know, and I get to watch my 15-year-old become a man. When Now, I'm going to get personable here, but my wife said, I, I don't think Eli should go to work today. He doesn't feel well. Hold on, hold on now. This is where dad steps in. Boy, are you sick? I don't feel good. Get up. You committed to David Murray, you're going to go to work. You dying? No, get up, then go to work. Right? Because men do what men do. They get up and they do their responsibilities even when they don't feel like it. And if we dads are not setting that example, they're going to lay into bed because that's what kids do. Many men, grown 40, 50-year-olds, they like laying into bed. They need to get up, get out, and get a job and go provide for their family and love their wives and their children and be sensible and respectable and honorable and be an example for the rest of the world to follow. But isn't it a false expectation for them to do those things when they don't know what an example looks like? So when my kids come to church and they look at Don Brandt and they look at David Murray and they look at Jim Brown, they look at Mark Mansell and they see men who work, who are investing, who are always serving and doing what they're called to do. That's the example I want my kids to see. You can be an example to those around you. The same Apostle Paul that is encouraging Titus to encourage the young men is the same man that also discusses how his inner conflict and struggle with sin is a reality. He says here in Romans 7, 15 to 20, for, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not want uh, for for I do for, for for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Listen. Your desire is to advocate every responsibility that God has given to you. But if we are going to be sensible, being sound of judgment, then we understand that we have the Spirit of God who dwells in us if we are born again. Listen, the necessity for living out your life as a godly man and as a godly woman is to be Spirit-filled for the glory of God. That comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, regardless of how difficult this can be, we are called as young men to be self-controlled, to be sensible in all of our ways. And maybe you haven't been. Maybe you haven't been. But listen to me very clearly. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life in which you can decide today that you're going to trust in the Lord and you're going to walk in the ways of the Lord, and you're going to honor God with your life. You ain't going to care what the world thinks. You ain't going to care what your friends think. You ain't going to care about nothing but honoring God with your life. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. Many of you need to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Many need to put their hope in Jesus Christ as the way unto salvation. Jesus says, I am not a good way. I am not the best way. I am not a very positive way. I am the only way, the truth, and the life in John 14, chapter 14, verse 6. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We all have the problem of sin. Our sin in Isaiah 59 two says there is a separation between us and God and man in his best attempts tries to reestablish that broken relationship with God. The problem is they fall short. Listen, I cross the broad river bridge going to work every day. Doesn't matter how fast this big boy runs. Doesn't matter if I got a fast car. I'll never make it to the other side of the broad river bridge in my own strength. No, I need a Savior who becomes the bridge by which now I can access God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so God saw our inability, our absolute incapability to save ourselves and not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son into the world that if we'll put our faith and our trust in His ways and His method, which is the cross of Jesus Christ in which He died and gave His Son so that you might have life and have life abundantly. When you put your faith, He says He comes to take up residence in you and now you have the Spirit of God living in you which gives you the ability and the capability to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, which then gives you the ability to live out those things which are a fruit of the Spirit, which deals with self-control. And we can then honor our Lord and our Savior by the way we honor our wives. So that when they are not loving us the way they should love us, like we don't love them the way we should love them because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we worship a God who gives us the ability to worship Him by worshiping her, by worshiping Him by the way we love our wives. We serve our wives and our children because we love Jesus Christ. And He gives us the power to do it. His Word never contradicts His will. And He says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Men, it's time to be men. It's time we honor our wives, our children. But more importantly, that we honor the Lord with our lives. Regardless of how difficult, we are called to be self-controlled. 
Maybe you've been self-controlled. Maybe you've refused to do those things that are healthy for you, best for you, even those things that dishonor God. Praise be to God that you can today turn your life to Christ, be born again from above, and begin to live out in a way that honors Him so that you can be an example to others. So first we see the expectation. Same in verse 2 and verse 5 here. We see it. But secondly, we should see the example. Paul continues in verse 6. Likewise, I urge the younger men to be sensible. In all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds. There's a bit of debate here uh, whether the phrase in all things is actually supposed to be at the end of verse 6. So it would read, likewise, I urge the young men to be sensible in all things, period, or whatever, comma, show yourselves to be an example. But here in the NASB, they translate it in verse 7. In all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deed. I really don't think it makes a huge difference after studying it this week. Because the responsibility, the expectation is what? For younger men, which included Titus. So, so the, the, the big thing is that Titus himself becomes the example by which we are to follow. We understand that in this next section is Paul's expectation of Titus to live by way of example to the younger men. But what's important to understand is that Titus himself would be considered a young man. And so we also understand that in Paul's commanding Titus to be an example, he is likewise calling the young men as well to be an example. Now this word example in the Greek is tupas. It gives the idea of an impression that is left by some kind of instrument, whether it be a sword for cutting or, 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 or a hammer. If you've ever hit a piece of sheetrock, it leaves an impression. I thought this morning as I woke up, give me an idea, Lord, of impression. And then I, remind, I was reminded of when we built our home and we put our fingerprints in the concrete. There's an impression. There was an instrument that left something. We men are to leave an impression. We're to be an example. And here, Paul wants Titus to be an example. So whether it's before or after really has no bearings on the instructions. Both Titus and the young men are to live by way of example. Live in a way that leaves an impression. Let, let me stop here. This isn't in my notes. I just want to ask the question, what kind of impression are we as men leaving? Let that mull through your mind. Let me ask you this question. Is the impression that you are leaving one that you would want to be left? Are the things you are impressing onto your children the things you would want your children to do? Would you be proud of them? Here, Paul calls Titus to be an example, to leave an impression to the younger men by which they should follow suit in their good deeds. Listen, good deeds can consist of many things. And maybe living a life that proves that you're an ambassador of Christ in which you're sharing the gospel on a regular basis, the hope of Jesus Christ could be considered a good deed. Maybe being a young man that watches the things of this uh, that honor God rather than the things that dishonor God would be a a way that uh, would honor God and consider good deeds. 
Maybe the things you listen to, if you, if you listen to something that honors God rather than dishonors God, that can be considered a good deed. Maybe encouraging others to live a life of godliness. Your friends that you're pouring into them, your children, your wife, to say, hey, 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 don't do that. That's not wise. We should not act that way. That would be considered a good deed. Because I think good deeds equal obedience to God's Word. You want to do a good deed? You want to live a life that honors God? Obey His Word. Know the difference between legalism and holy living. We should be calling one another to live holy lives. We should be living holy lives. He says, be holy for I am holy. We are positionally holy when we put our faith in Christ. We are progressively holy as we live out our lives. But nevertheless, good deeds are in obedience to God's Word. Ephesians 2.10 says we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Floundering? Doing nothing? Not honoring God? Not fulfilling our obligations? No, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, good deeds. Which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. So when we don't fulfill our God-given purpose, when we don't live out our lives as God has called us to, we are not obeying God. And we are not fulfilling our God-given purpose. <clears throat> as a Christian brother, we are expected to walk in good deeds. The Greek word, one commentator suggests that kailos, translated into English as good, does not refer to that which is shallow or skin deep but to what is genuinely inherently good. That which is righteous, that which is noble, and that which is excellent. And let me tell you what, I don't know what world you live in, but the world I live in doesn't like that kind of lifestyle. You become a hindrance to the joy that some people have when you decide you're going to live your lives in obedience to the Word of God. Titus' deeds were to be true reflections of what he preached and taught. Contextually, in regards to Titus encouraging the younger men, Paul wants to make sure that Titus knows that it is important, it is an important matter. That not only is Titus in all these things to show himself to be an example, but if someone gives advice that, that, that does not follow in that way of life, uh, and to live out that life in which He calls them to, it would be extremely hypocritical. It's easy to be hypocritical. Love your wives, men, while I hate my wife. Love your children, men, while I hate my children. That would be hypocritical. And He doesn't want us to be hypocritical. That's what the Pharisees did. Oh, they said, you need to do this law, you need to do this law, you need to do this law, you need to do this law. Why, they didn't do any of them. We are under grace. And so Paul wants to make sure that Titus understands that in all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds. So young men, how are we doing? How can we become better? 
of being examples of good deeds for our children to follow and for my children to follow in your life. Because when we live our lives out in the obedience to Christ, we affect everybody around us by the way we live our lives. Listen, the reality is, is you may be disappointed if you see me living like you're living. This is a reality. When I meet with people, they say, well, pastor, I'm like, you, you can't do that. Well, why can't I do that? You're doing that. Well, you're a preacher. Oh, well, hold on. <laughs> What's good for me is good for you, brother. So if you don't want me acting like you, then you ought not be acting like that. Maybe you ought to act like me. Right? We need to honor the Lord with our lives. We need to be examples for people to follow. Be connected and believe, it says. As good examples indeed. So we see here in verse 7, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Listen, the reality is, is more is caught than is taught. People see the life you live, the examples by which you live. This is appropriately sums up the power of teaching by personal example. Contrary would be to go about life saying, do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. Men telling their children, do as I say, not as I do. Well, you did it, Daddy. Well, it wasn't right, son. I'm sorry, and I should repent that I was being a bad example to you, and this is not acceptable, and I appreciate you calling me out on That should be our response. But many of us are welled up with pride and say, you know, don't do as I do. Do as I say, boy. But we are not only to be a good example of good deeds. He says, in all ways, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. Be connected and believe with a doctrine that is sound, that is incorruptible, that is pure. It assumes you're in the Word of God. It assumes you study the Word of God, that you're not simply a hearer of the Word, but you are a studier of the Word, that you read the Word. His example can't simply be in good deeds, but it must also be an example in purity of doctrine. This stands in contrast to the heretics who deny sound doctrine and are unfit for any good work in chapter 1, verse 16. And I was reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 4 when we are told for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but what? Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers and according to their own desires, will turn over their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelism. Fulfill your ministry. Listen, you may not be called to be a preacher, but if you have a kid, you're called to be a father. And if you're married, you're called to be a husband. You're needed in that role. The example that Titus here and the young men are to follow are to be sound in doctrine. Sound here means pure, means right, that which is taught. That teaching, that instruction must be sound in what we teach to our own Children and our own families must as well be sound. We're living in a day when there's a push for bad doctrine. 
There's a push for secularism, humanistic thinking. No, here young men ought to be men who stand against anything that is not sound in doctrine. Pure and of the Lord. This goes for Titus and for us. So when the world tells you it's okay to do this or that, and the Word of God says, no, you should not do that, we don't have the right to do it. And be an honoring to God. You have the freedom to do whatever you want. But freedom, true genuine freedom, is not the freedom to do what you want, but the ability to do what you ought not do. That's true freedom. Because we are no longer what? Slaves to sin, but rather slaves to righteousness. Therefore, we can turn away from sin and turn to holy living. God has given us that ability. He has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness. So, the world tells you it's okay, it's not. We need to stand up. No matter what the family believes or your community believes or considers sound, we need to become biblically correct rather than publicly correct or politically correct. So we and Titus are to be example with purity and doctrine, but also he says here, dignified. Dignified. The Greek word is suggestive of grandeur, magnificent. Uh, the, the, the quality of an inspiring respect. One writer suggests that the Latin authors would describe this as gravitas. It's a word that invokes seriousness and formality. So not only is Titus to be a good example of deeds, a good example of pure doctrine in his teaching, but he's also to do it in a way that is dignified and done in a way that inspires others. I mean, don't you know men who you look to and go, man, I wish... I could have that kind of relationship with the Lord. That's what we see here. Here to be dignified. This is a man who understands what is temporal and what is eternal. This is a man who understands what is important and what is not important. You are to be dignified in your behavior. Or is everything a laughing matter? Is everything a joke? Listen, I love laughing. I'm a jokester. But there is a time and a place for serious conversation. And it's a part of a man growing up taking responsibility. There are too many women out there who are sick and tired of men being children. Just last week after my message, I had a young lady at that door. I never met her. Don't remember her name. She said to me, my husband's a great provider. He goes to work all day. And he comes home and he gets on his video games. And he just plays for six hours. And he feels like he's done his job as a man. I want you to listen to me very clearly, young people. Because we are growing up in a different day with these cell phones these game stations, I, I grew up playing Nintendo. I get it. I spent hours playing Nintendo. I, I, I grew up playing the Atari. For many of you, you know what that is. I just dated myself. 
But nevertheless, there's a time in life when you become a man, you start doing man things. And you stop living like a child. Somebody needs to tell you in love and in grace, it's time to step up and be a husband for the glory of God. It's time to love your wives. They are struggling. These women in this nation are struggling. And it's much of because we've advocated our responsibility to be men. Listen, I'm all about video games. Who cares? Play a video game. I'm happy for you. But self-control is important. Isn't it? Play your video game with your kids or whatever the case, and then get off and be a husband to your wife. Love on her. Care for her. Date her. Treat her with honor. Treat her with respect. She's your wife. You are one flesh. When you marry that woman, you become one flesh with her. Treat her as you would your own body. You would never degrade your own body. Don't you do it with her. You fulfill your role. You fulfill your obligation. Young men need to be men. Young men with families need to be dads and husbands. It's time we step up and be honorable rather than dishonorable. Listen, I say that in love with compassion, but I say it with authority. Because I'm sick and tired of marriages failing because men aren't being men. And then I have to counsel. And I have to bring in this one and bring in this one and this side is all messed up and then I get this side of the story and then it's problematic. It all points back to the man failing to be a man. Doesn't mean there aren't some women who need to step up and be wives. But this is for the young men. Last week was the women. And I feel like it can be a little tougher towards men because I'm a man and I need the reminder. I need to be reminded. You need to step up and be a man, be a husband, be a father to your children. Because I haven't always been a great husband. And I'm not always a great husband. And I'm not, I haven't always been a good father. Matter of fact, in the last year of my life, I've probably advocated my responsibility to be a good father to my children more than I'm proud to say. But you know what? I'm making changes. And I'm going to honor the Lord, even if it makes me leave my office to go handle my business and be a dad to my children. Now, I have seven. I have a lot of responsibility. Some of you have one and two, and you still aren't doing it. It's time we step up and encourage one another. Be a man. Love your children because you love the Lord. So do you have sound speech? done in a way that honors God in your day-to-day -day conversation. Because here Paul commands Titus to be an example for the younger men to be an example in their speech, whether it be formal instruction or, you know, informal conversation. Whatever the case, the reality is Paul says it should be sound. Or you could say healthy, helpful, life-giving. It should be uh, pliable. It should be above criticism, beyond condemnation. Beyond reproach, he says. Basically, we are speaking, are we speaking, in a way that no one can criticize us in our speech. You know, I've learned the older I get, sometimes it's just wise to shut up. That's been hard for me because I like to talk a lot. But I've learned real quick as a pastor 
real quick, it's been about 12 years, I finally think I got it, just shut up. Just zip it. This ain't edifying, this ain't helpful, just be quiet. I could put you in your place, but nope, zip it. It's not helpful. This is not the time or the place. Sometimes we just need to learn to speak in a way that's above reproach. Basically, we're able to speak in a way that no one can criticize. How would God deem your speech today? Can we say that we speak in a way that no one would be able to criticize our speech? Condemn us for what we've said? Listen, I I grew up as an unbeliever my whole life. I had a terrible mouth. I, I was addicted to bad words. When I would speak, they would just come out. A, a gentleman took me golfing with his boss and the CEO. And after we got done golfing, this was years ago, he said, I'll never take you golfing again. Why? Because your mouth is disgusting. That thing hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought to myself, I better be careful what I say because even a wise man is wise when he's silent. Or a fool is wise when he's silent. Listen, we need to have speech that is above reproach. And really it points us back to self-control, doesn't it? Because if our speech is under self-control, then we can make sure that what we speak is honoring to the Lord, honoring to the other person, honoring to our wives, honoring to our children. See, if we're going to be a healthy church, all these things matter. Because I don't... We deal with each other on a regular basis, don't we? And how we handle one another and how we love one another and how we honor one another with our speech is vitally important for being a healthy church. Because when you go out of these doors, you have church six days a week in your community. And you represent this local body of believers. And how you choose your words will give an impact to what we are here. So we have to be careful. We're going to be a healthy church. All these things matter. How we deal with one another, how we deal with those that are not in the church, and how we deal with those Christians, because it all makes a difference in how they'll view us and think of us as children of God. You will either represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that honors Him or in a way that dishonors Him. If we as members of the body of Christ will be reminded to live by example, we will lead in a way that brings honor to God and brings about healthy living as a church. And so we see the expectations to live by. We see the examples to live by. And now we see the effect of living this way. Thirdly, everything in this life that you say will have an effect. I would suggest that it will either have a positive influence or a negative influence. It will either affect them godly or it will dishonor them in an ungodly way. You can say it will either be sinful or righteous influence. Paul wants Titus to understand that if he is going to be a great example, if he is going to be one who is living in a way that does not dishonor God, when young men are sensible, meaning they have used their Christ-centered common sense, they are faithful in using sound biblical judgment. They are living their lives in self-control. They will be men who will honor God. 
And when young men in all their ways show themselves to be an example of good deeds, just simply in word and in action, they will be men who honor God. And when men live by pure doctrine and live in a way that's dignified and honoring to God of sound speech, they will be men who will honor God. But the effect of that kind of God-honoring life, listen, is an example that we should all desire to live by. And here's the reason why. The effect it has on the world for which we live. So that, verse 8b, that the opponents will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Listen, we have an opportunity because we as followers of Christ, those opponents work for the devil. And their desire is to put us to shame, to put your family to shame, and your relationship ultimately to God to shame. And in the end result, they want to shame you. Because they want to shame your message. And if they can discredit you, they can discredit your message and therefore they can try to discredit God. You will see that if they have room to put you to shame, maybe you've left the door open for them to do so. The way you handle your life, the things you say, by the actions you do. Jesus was the greatest example, wasn't He? He lived a perfect life. While He struggled in all the same sin we struggled in, yet without sin. And He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul would never call Titus to do anything he could not accomplish. And He will never call you and me to do anything that He can't accomplish. Because all things are possible in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's ask the question today. If you're born again and you've put your faith in Christ, your spirit feel, are you living out a life that honors God? Because that's what it boils down to. So are we honoring God with our lives so that we can edify the church, that we can be deemed a helpful church? Are you walking worthy of the manner of your calling? The only way you and I are going to be a healthy, spirit-filled church who lives lives in a way that honors God and does not desire to fulfill the desires of the flesh, but of the spirit. When we do that, we're the kind of examples to be followed. And my encouragement is that we become men and women to be examples to follow so that you can honor God with your lives and your children's lives so that God might be glorified. In the end, your mockers will be put to shame because they will have nothing to say about you. Thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.